Let's get educated. That's why we're here, to bring you the stories impacting K-12 classrooms and college campuses. It's time for a little education. Hello everyone, I am Katie Patrick, joined by David Fiorazzo, and it is the start of yet another week of nonsense. So That's buckle right. up everybody, because we have 400, uh, half a million, just a whole lot of Los Angeles students who were forced to miss school for days thanks to union workers doing what they do best. Strike, strike, strike until the school district gives them a big old raise just like the teachers. Ah, the unions. That's teachers right. Teachers unions always and forever. This just mm. in. Ba -do 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 -do. Way over 400,000. Some say over 600,000, but we're not going to pinpoint. Uh, the point is, it's the second largest school district in the country, and L.A. students missed three days of school, which, let's just say flat out, that's not a bad thing when you're talking about public schools, to miss three days of school with what they're teaching. Um, okay, but I digress. As the unions launched a three-day strike. Now, they, it was a planned three-day strike, so apparently this is not going to because I don't think they have a contract. They may. I haven't checked up the latest headline, but they may or may not. But let's just go to the story. They, they struck. Can you say that when they, after they go on strike, that they struck? They struck. They, they Would struck. Would that be in the past struck. tense yep, of strike? They okay. Struck. So the, the, uh, the teacher struck, <laughs> struck a chord, um, leaving a lot of students out of class. Apparently, they were back in class now, but I don't think they have a contract. Nearly half a million students, one article says, in L.A., otherwise known, otherwise known as La La Land, uh, missed school last week after tens of thousands of workers employed uh, there walked off the job. And, they, and, of course, what are they doing? They're demanding higher wages. Katie Patrick, didn't they do this? They, they did this recently. A couple of years ago, was it? Within okay. the past couple of years. Okay. Yeah. So, so L.A., Chicago, Boston, Atlanta, all these big... It's loud, I guess, in Virginia. Anyway, we've got a video to set this up. We will come back and comment on it. These are some of the 30,000 L.A. Unified School District workers walking off the job today. Custodians, bus drivers, and teaching aides who are all demanding higher pay. We're the people nobody sees, we're, you know, we're the, but we're the backbone of LAUSD. With negotiations at a standstill, union leaders want a 30% pay increase for all members, whose average annual salary is around $25,000. I can make more money working at a fast food chain than I do here. The teachers union is supporting the three-day walkout, refusing to cross the picket line, effectively shutting down the nation's second largest school district, home to more than 420,000 students in some 1,000 schools. Superintendent Alberto Carvalho says the district is offering a 23% salary increase, plus a 3% cash bonus and expanded health care benefits. That's a very compelling package. And why? Because it is needed. These are individuals who have historically been underpaid. Carvalho is blaming union leaders for refusing to budge. Negotiations require some degree of flexibility. But union leaders accuse LAUSD of unfair labor practices. The district is also in negotiations with the teachers union, which went on strike in 2019, shutting down schools for six days. Now, another walkout that will ultimately mean less time in the classroom for students. Okay, one clarification there, and Katie's got a nugget for you. 
I wonder where all the money goes. This is not the teachers, it's the bus drivers, it's teacher's aides, it's the custodians, uh, custodians union employees who are making 25000 a year. Because do you think most teachers or superintendents or those are, they're making 25000 Katie, I think you just got some information that's relevant to this story. Share with us. Breaking news, but not breaking news. So <laughs> who you saw there in that clip, the superintendent, Alberto Carvalho, is that who you say? Carvalho. Anyway, the man in the suit, the one who looks so nice, for four years when he took over, was expected to make $440,000 a year 440,000 that's a that's, wow oh you know that's, that's a dollar for more than a dollar for each each uh student that goes to yep. the district and that was actually ninety thousand dollars more per year than his predecessor so i mean i'm glad to know the money is going to where it should and here's the deal because the, we are talking about the custodians and we, because we we're talking about the aides and the bus drivers these are people who do do deserve to get paid more yes they do especially if they're saying that twenty-five thousand is all they make in la absolutely wow. like that woman said absolutely go work at a fast food ring chain yes do it and do it for your own sanity and family and doing what's right because what is happening all over the country but especially in places like california and all these big blue <clears throat> uh urban areas it's just it's circular all right, so Governor Gavin Newsom of California Emperor. is <laughs> Emperor <laughs> is all about <laughs> raising taxes, raising taxes, yeah. and then we're going to raise taxes some more. And the teachers unions are saying we need more money, and so he's saying we need to raise taxes because so we, we can need give them more give money. them more money. Yeah. And then the lowly workers, I guess, as you will, the ones who are making twenty five thousand dollars, can't afford to live in that state or in that city because the taxes are so high because they keep raising the taxes so it's circular they're making the problem much worse than if these school districts la specifically one went had these teachers unions because they're not fighting on behalf of the students for sure but they're not fighting on behalf of the actual people even though they claim to be they're fighting on behalf of themselves and working with the governor as to what wages they should be putting out and we've said oftentimes on this program that the money never seems to get down to the curriculum level and actually help the students learn. And isn't it called the education system? Ah, yes. But it really doesn't get down to, it. Well, of course it helps guys like this, this nice suit guy, I forgot his name. I was gonna call him suit. Superintendent. Yeah, suit guy, $440,000 and you got I mean, hardworking bus drivers and, and janitors, custodians, um, teachers, aides, and others who, who are just barely getting by. I lived in Southern California for 17 years. I know what the property taxes are like. I know what the, the other taxes, the costs of living. I know what the cars, insurance rates are off the charts for car insurance, home insurance, and everything else. It is crazy. So um, I can't imagine living there and making $25,000 a year. But... Um, I digress. So, Katie, what, what do you think is the solution here going forward? Because it seems like this is a rerun whenever one of these large mega school districts goes on strike. Well, it, they need more money. It's they need always money. they need more money. It's yeah. always we don't have enough money. And then you throw money at it. We need more money. Yeah. It's still not. Oh, we need more it's money. It's never we, enough. It's never ending. It will never be enough. Yeah. And like you said, the real issue is none of that money actually trickles down to who is supposed to be getting it and who the 
people at the top say they're fighting for. It's like politicians. They say they're fighting for you. Do you ever see a dime of it? No. If we keep paying the $440,000 per year to the superintendent and then the union heads, how much money are they making? You see the full picture. It's the people at the bottom, the you and me blue collar workers, the ones just trying to put food on the table for our families who are suffering. And that includes the students because the students are the lowliest on this entire totem pole. Okay, um, I, I missed something um, per student. What is it for $24,000 per student? This is what it comes down to. That's pretty amazing. $24,000 per student. Yeah, you could do a lot of education if you gave or if you devoted resources for per student, $24,000 worth. Back in the day, our wow. founding fathers <laughs> were educated with much less than $24,000. Just a little. Just yeah. a little bit less than that. Yes. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. All right. Still to come, a Democrat lawmaker in Georgia says parents aren't qualified to oversee their own children's education. Why? Because they're probably not very smart themselves. We're talking about that next. When they say the quiet part out loud, <laughs> it can't be denied, and yet it will be denied. There will still be denial. I did not say that, as they show you saying it. Uh. Uh, what we have is during a Georgia House Education Subcommittee on Policy meeting, there was a Democrat lawmaker who argued that parents are not qualified to influence and direct their child's education because... Um, <clears throat> Many of them did not finish high school. So clearly, huh? Gasp. Yes, oh, let's my take a look at this. Um, I see parents being able to direct their child's um, education, and they are already in the lower 25 percentile, meaning a lot of those parents did not finish high school and cannot direct their, could not finish their own education. I am extremely concerned that we would put money in their hands and that, and that entire piece of life in the hands of parents who are not qualified to make those decisions. Mm. Parents it's, are not qualified to make those decisions. Let's parse this one out because that's Democrat Representative Lydia Glaze, all right? She mm. was speaking, obviously, in the vote uh, for the subcommittee, which passed, by the way, Georgia's Scholarship Act in a 7-5 vote last week. Um, it would create a state-funded $6,000 per year scholarship that could be used to cover approved education expenses for each student, right? The bill had already passed in the Senate in a 33 to 23 vote, which was along party lines. Now, she specifically was talking about how her experience, she sent her kids, she said she did homeschooling, but she sent her kids to a private school. She says, I do know that in private schools, there's a requirement on who can get into the school. I see access as a problem. I see parents being able to direct their child's education. And they're already, as you heard her say, the lower 25 percentile. A lot of those parents did not finish high school. That's where that whole quote mm -hmm. came in. So she's basically saying, hey, I know that a lot of the parents who live in these urban areas the metrop metropolitan area, school districts, she's saying they wouldn't be able to participate because those parents are the ones who, as she says, aren't qualified <laughs> to know how to direct their children into the proper schools. And even though that money would be coming in to help out with the scholarship, wouldn't be enough to help them. 
I like how she starts off. Uh, what, what is the first thing she said? Um, let me give you some friendly advice. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I'd like to offer just some friendly advice. And is, doesn't this come back to those? This, this is a worldview thing when it comes to who raises your children. Is it government or is it the family? The parents, uh, you know, but we might break it down to God versus government. But in this case, it's like, okay, the, the government, the teachers, the, the schools know better. Parents, you're not qualified. This is the message that's been underlying this whole thing for decades. And I mean, go, you know, you think of the famous Hillary Clinton quote, it takes a village to raise mm-hmm. kids. And that like, it does. As she said. And some people naively go along with that. I think they just think, yeah, mom and dads need help. That's not the point That's of not it takes what we're a saying. village. It's yeah. <laughs> when I say it sometimes, like to my mom friends, we mean it as our family members, yeah. our extended you family. Can, you need I help. don't need the political party of anybody. That's right. Coming in to help raise my kids. What I need are, you know, my my siblings, the aunts and uncles, my parents, my husband's parents, the family unit, our mm-hmm. closest of friends so our kids can play together. And you raise up the little community that you have. You don't bring big daddy government. That's not yeah. the dad that right. should be involved. And what she's saying here is really quite sad when you think about it, right? So she's supposed to be representing all of, you know, these people in these metropolitan areas. And she's just kind of, it's almost like, She's okay giving up on them. She's like, hey, I'm just going to be real. Like, they can't do it, so we shouldn't even try. Instead, Big Daddy government, please take over. Like, you are the ones to make that decision. Because those parents, let's be, like, she's saying the quiet part out loud. She's admitting that they want the government to do it all for them. They don't want to, as Representative Alexander Ocasio-Cortez would say, it is impossible to raise yourself up by your bootstraps. Did you know you can't even raise yourself up by your bootstraps? So she, this representative <laughs> does not want them to try because, as AOC says, it's physically impossible. <laughs> if you don't know that clip, you need to go find well, it. Well, according to the laws of gravity. <laughs> okay, anyway. She's fun. Yeah, um, it, it is very sad. But again, friends, just keep, you've already been, if you're watching this program, you're already paying attention to this or you, you've noticed this, you know the agenda. But it, it will continue because they're, they're minimizing the, abilities, the education, the intelligence, the decision-making of parents, those who supposedly know their kids better than anyone other than God, right? Parents. And they're saying, better hand them over to the teachers, to the unions, to the schools, to the government. That's what they're saying. If you don't believe that, Biden just passed, he's he's proposing legislation to reach kids at pre-K, Pre-K, he wants kids away from their mom and dads, and this is you'll see more about this in the near future. All right, well, when we come back, a newly appointed conservative school board in California, what, is hiring a consultant to train teachers on how to spot critical race theory materials Uh-oh. to keep them out of the classroom. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> this is new and refreshing, and we're going to talk about it next. Today's show is sponsored by our friends at MyPillow. Save up to 66% on pristine quality bedding, towels, slippers, signature pillows, and much more when you use the code EDUCATED. That's E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D, EDUCATED. Support this show and a great American company.
Well, millions of dollars have uh, been spent on putting critical race theory all over your schools, all over the country. And now one district in California, of Court, all the yep. possible places, <laughs> is going to spend or wants to spend $15,000 to get that critical race theory out of the classroom. A California school district's newly elected conservative board approved a resolution to spend the 15K in taxpayer money for sessions with an anti-critical race theory consultant. All right. Temecula, is that how you would say that? Yeah, exactly. Valley Unified School District, TV, USD, which serves roughly 28,000 students or so. They're allocating the taxpayer dollars toward the program after the district prohibited the teaching of critical race theory in its classrooms back in December. And of course, this is a three to two vote, right? <laughs> three to two. The three who voted, yes, let's spend the money to get critical race theory out the door. Those uh, board members were newly elected conservative board members. Oh, that's an interesting so lesson for interesting. you at the local level in elections. Go ahead. Yes, if you... It's, as we say, if you truly want to make a difference, mm. run for local school board, yeah. run for local office. Get in there. Get in there, because that's where the decisions are made. That's what's going to impact the students. All right, so three to two vote, board approved the measure. The three votes again were the conservative voices. And so what they said is they are going to have the anti-CRT consultant and an after-school board workshop, which is going to have six members, and they're going to uh, meet together, and they're going to basically take a look at what's going on and, and figure out how to get it all out, right? There was no word on how they actually picked this panel, so we don't know who is part of that six-member board, like what your qualifications are. Now, one of the panelists is Christopher Aaron, who's a former school board president actually, and uh, he was hired to have the discussion groups covering the history of critical race theory and discuss the district's banning of the framework. Um, they're gonna, he's gonna help walk educators actually through the re that resolution so they understand it, which makes sense that you have someone, because he's an attorney, who can understand legal language to walk through this to know what they're doing and getting all that out. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the best part. Of this whole thing, Dave. Yeah, the best? This is this is what I say is the best part of this whole <laughs> thing. It was a three to two vote, right? Yeah. Well, the two who voted against it. Here we the go. two board members against the anti-CRT claimed that hiring Aaron, as you saw, was it was simply not good. No, no, we can't have him. Uh, trustee Area 5 board member, Schwartz, said <laughs> that uh, Aaron has a lack of teaching credentials. He's an attorney. But so he's Lack not qualified. Yeah. He, he, he wasn't a teacher. Here's the quote. He's not an expert. He's not an expert on CRT because he's an attorney and he studied it, does not give him the degree in history or ethnic studies or anything that is related to critical race theory. Interpretation. If you didn't go to a four-year super-duper liberal college where you learned history through the eyes of critical race theory. That's right. And you did not take ethnic studies in the eyes of critical race theory or anything, as they say, that is related to critical race theory, then you are not qualified because, oh my gosh, you studied law, which means you're probably going to be as unbiased as possible because you're following the law. Well, Katie, may the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> um, I, will, you. I will say that he may not 
be an expert in CRT, but if he, he's a lawyer, so I'm guessing he's got some intelligence, some smarts, and he, probably that, I won't say that. All right, he has some smarts. <laughs> I, that was great, I restrained myself. Um, but he probably does know true, unedited, unhijacked American history about how the nation was formed and about the, the Civil War and about other Whoa, who we can't owned have slaves that. and the nature of the different slavery around the world and who still has slaves in other countries. And he probably does know true history, but he's not an expert in CRT, right? Mm. That's, that's what, that's what Maybe that's he should Schwartz's go back to, complaint. That's what Schwartz's complaint. Maybe he should go back to college. Anyway, that's going to do it for this story. Still to come, we have uh, an attempt to support sustainable living and minimalism. Ooh, we have one family in Kentucky who has built a tiny house village where every family member has his or her own small house. This is going to be interesting to take a look at. If you have a smartphone, tablet, Roku, or Apple TV, consider downloading the Freedom Project media app. It's 100% free and includes all of our weekly shows, plus lecture series, archive programs, and award-winning animated videos for families like the Presidential Minute, Battles of America, and Heroes of the West. Don't rely on the social media giants to keep you informed. Simply download the Freedom Project media app from your app store and allow notifications. And we'll let you know when a new video is ready. What? Kids living in their own houses on the same property as their parents, and they're not even out of high school? Th this is a very interesting story. It really is. So th this family of four, they're in a private, tiny house village that they built themselves, and their kids have their own homes. Um, Kelly and Ryan Brinks, it's in Kentucky. It was affordable there for them to buy um, what was it, 57, well, I'll get mm -hmm. to that in a minute, 21 acres, yeah, $57,000 in 2015, they bought a 21-acre piece of land in Kentucky, and so um, their 18-year-old daughter has her own 160-square-foot house, 160, while her brother, Brody, lives in another 160-square-foot house. They said, uh, they, they live in their village to promote a sustainable lifestyle. Uh, if you're not familiar with these, tiny house communities are popping up in different places across the country. Um, interesting. I don't think I could ever do that, Katie. I, I need more storage. No, no. I'm kidding. Oh, then we got to talk about decluttering, right? No, we gotta, yeah. Let's talk about it. Uh, we can have a therapy session just yeah, on we, that. Yeah, we could. Uh, I My have wife looked needs into yeah, decluttering. I have, oh, good. Right. I've looked into this. Yes. I'm going to not lie. And even though my husband is a, a giant, he's the one who is actually <laughs> yeah, more right. interested There's in this. There's no way he could live in a tiny up, house. He, he was interested. We can't do it up here in the northern states, but in Kentucky, it's quite fascinating how this works realistically we all as americans have way too much stuff yeah that's um, true and so looking at their photos it looks awesome yeah i as a mother now i don't know how i would feel about having my two teenage son and daughter in their own little houses even though they're really close by obviously mm -hmm. their own little connected village right. i the the parents argue well it's kind of like having teenagers in a house like they're always locked in their room anyway and they said so instead of 
knocking on their bedroom door, they knock on the outside door to their little house. <laughs> so it's kind of neat. I, I think it would be kind of fun, but also I don't know if I would do it long term. You know, maybe for a season or two. It's it's cheap enough, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, well, this family did it. They uh, f- apparently five years ago, they wanted to move from their two thousand two hundred square foot home in Michigan to live more sustainably. And tiny houses produce less waste. They require less heating, can be more environmentally friendly, and the family knew it was the right fit. So. Uh, She says, initially, my husband wanted us all together in one cabin, but I argued on behalf of the kids for their own privacy. So the idea here is, and this is fascinating too, this decision to have the kids in their own little houses. You've got your son or your daughter, you eat meals together, and then they're off to their bedroom or whatever room you have in your house. They're not typically, typically in the same room as the parents except for meals, right? So they said, well, it's like having their bedroom in just, I just have to go outside to knock on their door. I think that's interesting. I'm not sure if most parents would like that. Yeah, and the one thing that's interesting about this too is they have kind of like an outhouse, but it's it, they actually have electricity to it. The bathroom and the shower and all of that is in its own little house that also has like a little guest room in it. So... And the teenagers were like, oh, it's not that weird for us to like walk out of our little house to go use the bathroom. In but mom and dad house. have a bathtub. Yeah they're, yeah, they're fancy, the mom and dad, of course. <laughs> but the teenagers were like, well, if it's raining, it's okay. We just you know, run there. If you've ever been to camp, it's fine. But this is year-round like living at camp <laughs> where you have to uh-huh. go to a whole new building to use a bathroom. So fascinating. We want to know your thoughts. What do you think about this? Would you do it yourself if able to? Or maybe, hey. Maybe someone out there watching us right now, maybe you are doing it. Let us know. And how you do it. Yes, how you do it. So if you are a fan of the show, please, hey, like, comment, share if you're watching us on social media. Now, for David and myself, thank you for watching, thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting what we do. Until next time, stay educated. Educated is directed and produced by Mike Menzel, hosted by Katie Petrick and David Fiorazzo. Makeup and hair by Katie Scholl. Graphics designed by Dan Kaler. Educated is owned by Freedom Project Media. See other shows and content at freedomproject.com or download the Freedom Project Media app. Copyright 2023.